DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. PK, huh. how are you? Oh, you know, I couldn't be better. <laughs> Get a good night's sleep, not having to stay up and watch a jazz game, not having to stay up and watch the Utes or the Cougars or the Aggies. I don't know what you're talking about. I was in film work a lot. Nice. What, what did you learn? What did you learn from all your film work? Well, you got to start in a stance. You know, that's the key. Oh, you can't so be back, too vertical. Back to basics, huh? Yeah, yeah, I think in that situation, that's when you go back and, you know, what you were learned, what were the principles, the fundamentals, that type of thing. So you get in a stance, you have... You have rapid eye movement. You have all sorts of stuff that's going to allow you to get in the lanes, those types of things. It can really help make a difference. This is small things, Dave. Rapid eye movement? Yeah, I think, you know, with you, you know, you're too technical. I tend Mm -hmm. to look at the abstract. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. You had to be here yesterday about 9 o'clock. PK decided the word abstract was not allowable. I'm waving it off. It's a no-go. In the abstract. In the abstract. Would you rather be in the abstract or in the nude? Uh, Probably in the nude. I don't think anybody really wants to visualize that this early in the morning, but you know. So, true story. Are you ready? So, I graduate. Does it matter Uh, if I'm ready? No, it really doesn't. (laughs) Why'd you ask me? So, uh, the guys I'm friends grade. with, the guys I'm friends with from college, some oh, are, college. some are my age and some are a year older. Okay, and so They're way up there, my class graduates, and I'm on the five year plan. I've still got like five classes to go, and so five of us move into this house, and we're about a mile and a half off campus, and we start working commercial radio jobs, and it's uh, it's a little chaotic. It's you know five single guys who are. 22, 23, 24 years old and, and working all kinds of crazy hours. Some working early mornings, some working nights. We had a guy living in Santa Barbara had to drive to Lompoc and be there at five in the morning uh, for work. And so it was, it was always crazy. There was always something going on. And then somehow there's one weekend and everybody's gone for one reason or another. They're out of town. And one guy, Dan, was going to be there and have the whole, this four bedroom house that the five of us had rented to ourselves. Dan, what are you going to do without missing a beat? Ah, I'm just going to turn up the heat and run around naked. Like, oh, dude. And he just started laughing because he knew he'd grossed us all out. See, when I run around naked, I don't need to turn up the heat because the heat is already turned oh, up. Oh, there it is. <laughs> and the whole thought now in retrospect as we sit here in a Utah winter that in Santa Barbara you need the heat. I mean, I know it drops down to 50 degrees and you're right by the ocean, so it's kind of cool. But come on. Come on. <laughs> come on. Heat. Please, please, you soft California. 50 in the morning in February sounds beautiful. It really does, doesn't it? All right. Well, what are you going to do with yourself? Are you going to get more film work tonight? Because the uh, a lot of the Mountain West is actually playing tonight, if you want to watch the Mountain West basketball. But the Aggies are a Wednesday game for television purposes. So we got no jazz. We got the jazz in the middle of three days off. This is kind of weird in basketball season. I'm used to having uh, games six nights a week. Uh well, I don't know the Jazz are playing six nights a week. but uh, No, but it's either Jazz or it's Utes or it's Cougars or it's Aggies. Or... A little downtime. I think I'll continue on my memoirs. <laughs> Your memoirs? Mm-hmm. Yeah. PK's greatest hits? As people want to know. They want to know things. So you know, I'll continue, uh, continue penning them. I'm right right are now. Are you in the I New just, Jersey years? Are you in the Arizona years? The, the California glory years. years. Right now, I'm just in the abstract. 
It's just a concept. Okay. You know, I'll have to figure out a way to, 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 to narrow it. There's so much to say. There was a lot to say about the Super Bowl yesterday, and I forgot to bring this up with you. But uh, Shakira, when she leaned over to the camera and with her tongue and all that, and it that turned, was into talent a, right there. turned into a meme. Yeah. And then I saw New Jersey tweeted that at Delaware. And the Twitterverse went nuts. Really enjoyed that. Is there a Jersey-Delaware thing? I meant to ask you about that because you're a Jersey guy. That would have to be down the southern part of the state. Not something you northern Jerseyans really paid attention to. You didn't have a big thing with Delaware up there. Uh, I did not. No, not at all. You had the Philadelphia thing with the uh, southern part of the state, and Delaware is down there that way, too. Uh, you drive through Delaware. The official to, New Jersey State account apparently tweeted that out and sent everybody in. I don't have much going on or didn't have much going on with Delaware. We were about uh, New York City. You know, I was only about a half hour away from downtown New York City, and so all the TV stations and all were from New York, so it was all about that massive metropolitan area. And then I spent some time in the southern part of the state a little later, and that was the Philadelphia area. And so Delaware didn't really cross the uh, the mind very much. You knew they had a, a water gap, the Delaware water gap, but that's about it. You can hit with Monson on that because he's got the Delaware connection, not me. There it is. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Coming up next, he covers pro football. He covered the Super Bowl, Andy Reid, Tom Brady. We'll get to that next, 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Take The Zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of The Zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Time now to talk football, Super Bowl, and Hall of Fame with Jason Cole, veteran NFL reporter, He's also a Hall of Fame voter, and he joins us on the Sprint special guest line. Lease any phone and get an iPad or Samsung Tab A for $99.99. Visit the Sprint store nearest you. Jason, good morning. Good morning. What's going on? Well, I'm in Gainesville, so Tom Petty is good. Got home, so it's, uh, it's nice. Nice nice bumper music. It's a win for you. You're in Gainesville. Yep. We're in mm-hmm. Utah, and it's snowing. All right, so let's get right to it. Everybody in Utah, despite the cold winter weather, is thinking about Andy Reid and getting this warm feeling. He finally got the championship. You're a Hall of Fame voter. I'm of the opinion, I'm not a Hall of Fame voter, I'm of the opinion, Uh though, that now he is a slam dunk, first ballot Hall of Famer. Am I wrong? Slam dunk? No, I wouldn't say that. I mean, Mike Holmgren has done more in his career probably and has not made it into the Hall of Fame yet. Um, we don't have Don Coriel in, and he was, you know, a big impact. Tom Flores had two and, you know, first minority coach. Um, there's no – I don't think it's a slam dunk no-brainer for, for Andy Reid. You know, it's not a first ballot for Andy Reid. I mean, do I think that he will get in someday? Yes. Do I think it'll be easier if the Hall of Fame 
finally does the right thing and separates out coaches into their own category rather than having to compete with players, yeah. But if they continue to have them compete with players, um, it's hard for all coaches to get in into the Hall of Fame right away. I think Belichick is the only guy who you say that's a first ballot Hall of Fame coach, no question about it, at least among the guys who are out there and not in the Hall of Fame yet. So I guess the thing I think is I hear Don Coryell, and trust me, I grew up in San Diego going to San Diego State game, so I'm all aboard the Don Coryell train, but never went to a Super Bowl as a head coach, won 100 games in the pros and 100 in the college. Andy Reid sitting on 200 wins in a Super Bowl. Tom Flores, 105 wins and 90 losses and the Super Bowls, uh, two Super Bowl titles. Probably feeling that it was kind of built for him when he stepped in there, and he's got 100 less wins than Andy. I thought the fact that Andy took two teams that were down, built them up, won the 222 games, and has the Super Bowl, that would do it. But no. It's a nice resume. It's a really nice resume. But if you're asking me if he's a no-doubt first ballot Hall of Famer, I say no. If you're asking me if he... um, going to get in the Hall of Fame? I would say probably. Okay. And again, it's going to depend on the structure of how they do things. Because I'm one of these people who, look, we have a hard time getting coaches through, right? Um, and we've been arguing about Coriel and Flores and Holmgren and then Jimmy Johnson. Jimmy got in this year. Somehow Bill Coward jumped him. Now, the fact that Coward's in helps Andy Reid's case. But even Cowers not a, wasn't a first ballot guy. It took it took a while for him to get through the process. So I just I when you put it in the, when you frame it the way you framed it, I'm going to disagree. Okay. If you're asking, does he have a chance to make the Hall of Fame? Yeah, I would, I totally agree with that. So as far as the Super Bowl win, I thought the key point there was going to the hurry up offense. The Niners' pass rush had given Kansas City a lot of problems, and Kansas City was finally able to uh, throw the deep ball. And was it just a simple matter of the hurry-up and a combination of the fourth quarter and having to play real fast took just enough out of the pass rush that Mahomes was able to throw the ball downfield? I think that helped a bit. I thought that there were opportunities earlier in the game. There were three or four times. I mean, Troy Aikman was talking about it every single time Richard Sherman got singled up, right? Because Troy Aikman was basically telling the entire world who was watching this game, Richard Sherman can't cover deep anymore, <laughs> which we all knew if you watch the Devontae Adams play, uh, you, know, in, in, you know, in the Green Bay San Francisco game, you know, in the, in the NFC Championship game. I mean, I just was surprised that they never flexed out of what, you know, or, uh, you know, audibled out of the plays that they were in to take shots at Sherman more often or set up some more trips for trips formations to say, look, we're going to put Watkins, Hardman, and Hill over there. And whichever one um, Richard Sherman picks, that dude's running the deep route, right? Um, like that's what I was expecting to see happen a lot more in this game. A lot of them pushing it downfield. They waited for their opportunity in the fourth quarter. They finally got it on the play to Watkins, which was a which was a critical play. Um, I, I do think you know the pass rush was really good good for San Francisco. I think that bottom line is the mobility of Mahomes made it possible to do some of the things that they did. 
Because if you look at the entire season, how San Francisco played against mobile quarterbacks, and that's the two games against Seattle, two games against Arizona, the game against Baltimore, and the game win against the Rams, the second game against the Rams, when Sean McVay had Jared Goff either roll out or bootleg 20 times, those offenses were productive every single time. They were putting up 20 to 30 points in all of those games. And I think this is a matter of um, Mahomes is the kryptonite for what the 49ers do up front. Jason Cole, veteran NFL reporter and Hall of Fame voter, join us right here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. So the uh, play calling uh, with Kyle Shanahan in the fourth quarter is going to get uh, is going to everyone's going to be going over that with a magnifying glass. I think throw and it, once it was twenty to seventeen, throwing on second and third down raised some eyebrows because the run game was was so productive. What did you think of that? Uh, I don't know. They were in a second and nine situation. I, that's a that's a throwing down. And he, look, my problem with the fourth quarter. Uh, is not Kyle Shanahan. It's Jimmy Garoppolo. Jimmy Garoppolo is the one who failed in the fourth quarter in hitting some big plays. Um, now, if you want to second-guess Kyle Shanahan, the end of the first half is the problem, when they didn't try and set up a score. And I know the Kittles play was there. Kittles did. That was offensive pass interference, right? But he should have also called the timeout earlier to give himself some more time so that it didn't just come down to that one play that hurt them. So that one I'll second-guess Kyle Shanahan about. But in the fourth quarter, you're talking about the second and nine play to Samuel, Garoppolo misses that play. The third down play where it's a third and six situation where they throw a born underneath, Kittles is wide open in the middle of the field. you got to see that play if you're, if you're Garoppolo. And then the third and ten play, what what are you supposed to dial up on third and ten? You're running a draw play? <laughs> Is that what people are thinking about? You know, second and nine. You know, third and ten. You know, running in those situations is not. You know, those are not high percentages. Third and six, not a high percentage rundown. Okay, that's where your quarterback has to step up and hit those plays. He had Emmanuel Sanders open on that third and ten deep one. He overthrew him by eight yards. I mean, Sanders had no shot on that on that play. Uh, Kittles was wide open in the middle of the field, and Garoppolo simply missed him and threw to a guy who was not, you know, one yard short of the first down. He was three or four yards short of the first down, and was lucky to make it within three yards of the first down. That's a bad play by Garoppolo. The miss to Samuel, bad play by Garoppolo. If you're a great quarterback, you have to hit two out of those three. You can't go over three in that. And so, yeah, people want to blame Kyle Shanahan. That's the easy thing to do. But Kyle Shanahan doesn't have the ball in his hands making decisions and making plays. That's why this game is still 80% about the players and 20% about the coaching. This was a player failure in the fourth quarter by the quarterback. And not to say that they should get rid of Jimmy Garoppolo. That's not what I'm trying to, I'm trying to indicate here. He's still had a magnificent season, and I, there's a lot of promise there for a guy who still hasn't played that much in his career. But yesterday was not a good day for him in the fourth quarter. What did you think of the Niner defense getting the second interception and the whole team going to the end zone and celebrating with 12 minutes left? On the one hand, it's kind of what everybody does these days, and it was a big play. And on the other hand, Mahomes and the Chiefs still had 12 minutes in a 10-point game, and they've been the comeback kids yeah. in the playoffs. I, uh, I, I'm sorry. My senses are dulled to celebration criticism. <laughs> um, most, 
Yeah, look, it was a big play and a big game, right? You come up with that interception, yeah, you, yeah, you you celebrate and have a good time with it. Um, and again, I don't think that had anything to do with what happened the rest of the way. Like, I don't think that fired up Patrick Mahomes, um, even if he may. I don't know if he said he did or didn't, okay? But you celebrate in those moments. The bigger problem the rest of the way in that game was the failure of the 49ers to move the ball and string together some first downs. And again, the failure of Jimmy Garoppolo to make critical plays. That's that's where this game comes down to. Not you know some sort of silly kind of you know trite. You know how many how many different versions of the soccer celebration are we going to have before people go? Can we kind of come up with something new? Jason Cole, veteran NFL reporter, Hall of Fame voter, joining us. Of course, uh, in between all the action, there's the Tom Brady Hulu commercial, and a lot of people were trying to read into the social media the day before. So now you've seen all of that, and he, of course, did a pregame interview, and then he does a halftime interview on the radio if you listen on the national radio broadcast. So everything you've heard, everything you've seen, you got any idea what's about to happen with Brady and uh, the rest of his career? It's going to be a bidding war between the Patriots and the Chargers. I'll say this. The Chargers people I've talked to, they don't – when you say Tom Brady to them, it's not like, oh, that's not going to happen. We're not doing that. <laughs> and they're not playing their hand, but they're also not denying it, right? So I think the Chargers are all in on this, bidding this up, because they need to sell tickets. They need to create some excitement there in Los Angeles to open that new stadium. And really – They've got better weapons to show to Tom Brady than the Patriots do. And they also have the one thing that could appeal to Tom Brady, which is a chance to win a Super Bowl by yourself without having to give credit to Josh McDaniels and Bill Belichick. And I know people are like, oh, he hasn't, he's not that kind of guy. Look, McDaniels and Belichick and the, and Brady, that marriage among those guys, and throw Kraft in there, that that marriage that they've made last for for 20 years has been a spectacular thing. No question about it, okay? Um, that's been phenomenal. But like any great partnership, whether it's the Beatles or whether it's, you know, great, great, you know, great coaches and, and players together, people get tired of each other after a while and I think they're tired of each other and I think they're tired of sharing credit and sometimes people want a new challenge and I don't blame Brady if he wants a new challenge now I know he's been heard a lot of advice from people like Joe Montana and Joe Namath you know stick it out and and finish in, in New England and I wouldn't blame him if he does that but if I was him after all this time after hearing Josh McDaniels say oh I've got I've got a quarterback agnostic system really that's really it, Josh. That's what you think, okay? That you can win with any quarterback? Okay, let's see you do that. Um, let's see how that goes for you, Josh. Because I'm going to go over here to the Chargers. I'll throw to Mike Williams and Hunter Henry and hand the ball off to Eckler or um, you know Melvin Gordon if he sticks around. And I'll work with those guys, and I'll see if I can get it done over there. How ironic that a franchise that once uh, Eli Manning said, "Yeah, I'm not, I'm not playing there." My dad told me you're not good enough, and he goes to New York and wins two Super Bowls at the expense of Tom Brady, and now Brady might end up there with that organization. That doesn't scare him off a little bit. Well, I mean, look, the Chargers aren't 
a great organization, you know, in terms of how they have handled things over, you know, you, you can make that criticism of they haven't won. Um, but I think that they do have a good coach, and I think that they do have a good collection of talent around the quarterback right now. Uh, certainly, I would take the collection of talent that the Chargers have right now and probably have for the next two, three, four years, and I would say that that is better than what the Patriots have and probably better than what the Patriots can put together around him. Um, to go with all the other things that we're talking about and the chance to, you know, Here's the other thing that a lot of people think about. Certainly LeBron thought about this, which is you go to Los Angeles and you're in the media capital of the world. As you transition out of your professional sports career and get ready to do something else. I don't think that Tom Brady necessarily has to do that and go to L.A., but he's probably not against it either. He's probably thinking, you know, okay, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? What are the next ventures that I have? And I'm going to bet that Giselle probably thinks the same thing, too, as she comes out of you know, her career as a, as a model and says, okay, what am I going to do with the rest of my career? So, I mean, these are people who are high-achieving people, and they, they want to continue. They're, it's not like they're just going to quit and we're never going to see them again. They, they want to have a presence. What does the NFL think of uh, Tua Tagovailoa and his hip? I don't know yet because I, I don't know what the doctors look. If I'm a if I'm an NFL team and I haven't heard anybody who's seen the results of that hit um, and that surgery, the question I have is uh, he looked good this week when he was walking around. You know, he's talking about um, that he's going to be ready for the combine. All those things are great, right? But I want to know, okay, how long is this hip going to stay together, and how much more punishment can it take? It's not as simple as, okay, he just looks fine and I'll take him. There's more to it than that. Um, so there's a lot of doctor reports, and I want to have my own guys examine this guy, and I want to see what happens when we look at him at the combine, and he goes through the medicals at the combine. There's a lot to do with Tagaviola before you make a final decision. But so far, so good. Uh, and, and, look, I hope the kid's great. I you know, we need quarterbacks. I help him and the Burrow kid, you know, because we're, we're about to step out of a great generation of quarterbacks. You know, talk about, we talked about Brady. And Brees is going to be quitting soon. Manning's already out. Eli has quit. You know, Roethlisberger's not far behind. Um, Rodgers is getting older. You know, we got, there's a lot of quarterbacks we got to replace in this league. So we need some really great ones. So I hope that Tagovailoa is one of them. But before I invest the top five draft pick, which, you know, is going to be, probably either Detroit or, or the Dolphins that are probably going to draft this kid. Before I invest that, I got a lot of questions about, about the condition of this kid's body. And, and he's had other injuries, too. You know, the ankle injuries, this hip thing is not the only thing that he's ever had happen to him. Jason, we appreciate a few minutes, as always. Thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you again. No problem. Take care. Thanks. There's Jason Cole talking football. You got any football issues now that are going to dog you? Stay with you. In what way? Uh, anything. You know, Brady's free agency to a tongue of the low in the draft. I mean, there's any number of stories coming Well, the, dra- out the draft is still a couple of months away. Right. It's almost so that's three why, months away. That's why know? I thought football for you might just go on the back burner and uh, no, let it go well, for a while. I think actually for me at the NFL level, you know, we'll gear up when the draft gets closer. But uh, right around the corner is the start of spring ball. And uh, for me, I want to get up there and see Jake Bentley play for Utah. Spring football is at its most useful when there's a quarterback battle. 
And the Utes have a quarterback battle. Well, I just have never seen the kid play. Right. I mean, I've seen tape of him and whatnot. I haven't really seen Rising play, but I did see him a little bit in practice, and they usually open up the spring. Yeah. I don't know if they're going to do it again this year, but the spring usually has been open for everybody and anybody, as long uh, even the public, as long as they're not inside because they have space limitations there inside. So just get a feel for what what he looks like and you know what he can do and. I, I don't think that anything is going to be settled at the conclusion of spring ball and you're our guy and that's it, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I, I think, think so. Yeah. It'll go into training camp. And then, of course, the Cougars will have a quarterback battle, too. You think uh, that'll be mostly quarter- for show? Yeah, yeah, I still expect Zach Wilson to start, but the other guys will have opportunities. Zach Wilson has to reclaim his position as the leader of this football team and I think he's got a leg up on it and I think Kalani said as much when we had him on a couple weeks back but it'll be a competitive situation which it should be you should always have guys you, you if you have the position you've got to keep the position you've done no one has done anything to just to be substandard and then you still have the position you don't want that as a football coach that's an awful position to be in All right, DJ and PK, 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Steve Cleveland's Talking Hoops next. Take The Zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of The Zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's time to welcome in our basketball insider, Steve Cleveland, the former Cougar coach. Steve, good morning. Good morning, guys. Steve, there's a few Jazz fans who are stressed by four consecutive losses. They've given up 120 points with stunning regularity, and they're 2-8 and eight when they do that this year, so that's a bad idea. Yeah. You got any advice? What happens? How does the defense, which was not great, but it was certainly above average, how does the defense go from above average to poor so quickly? Uh, you know, part of it is, being on the road, um, I think people underestimate when you take, take the Rockets game, for instance. Uh, that's four games ago. And uh, they, they're at home, and Gordon goes for 50. And Westbrook and Harden don't play. And people look at that and go, how could that possibly happen? You know, I think one of the things they forget is that everybody in this league as guys that can play. Some of them are difference makers that we know and we read about. Some of them are developing and haven't had an opportunity to play. And, and then some are role players. And, you know, really, a guy like Gordon's kind of been the guy, the third cog in that wheel, and he gets shots when Harden Westbrook decide they don't want to shoot. But we forget sometimes that they're really, really good players in this league at all levels. And just because we don't know who they are or they haven't been given an opportunity, when given an opportunity, they step up. Then they, they go on the road and, and they, you know, they play the Spurs and DeRozan goes for 38. Jokic goes for 28 for the Nuggets and Lillard goes for 50. So in two of those games, they gave up 50 points to a, and probably see a couple of superstars. But uh, I, I think defensively on the road, it's more difficult. It, it would make sense. I, I would, I'm still a little bit, um, it's hard for me to believe that the Rockets without Westbrook and Harden go in there and, and get beat. But 
Um, I, I think certainly on the road, uh, I understand it, and uh, they're, they're going to have to, you know, it's a wake-up call. But it's a long season, too. And I think we need to understand that uh, it's a grind. And, you know, when you, when you take a look at what's happening, you know, for instance, when Donovan Mitchell, he, he can't have an off game. You know, he can't go 1 for 12 and 0 for 6. I mean, that just they don't have the depth and the scoring. And Ingles has been really quiet the last four games. And I don't know if that's because of Conley being back or what the circumstances are. Um, but he's just not playing like he's been playing. I mean, he's usually a guy that's got 12 or 14 with six or seven assists, and he's been in a bit of a struggle. So, And he's been a really important part of that team. So just little, uh, just some inconsistencies, and it only takes one or two guys to have a, have a not-so-good game. And uh, the margin for error in the NBA is really, really slim, man, and you just can't afford to take a night off, especially when you're on the road. So the schedule this week, you know, you got two ball games, and they're both at home, Wednesday against Denver and then Friday against Portland. So you have this rare opportunity to have some practice time in your own building. And so I'm wondering what you think that they should be doing to take advantage of this as far as film work, extra practice, whatever it might be, maybe meetings, uh, one-on-one with Coach Schneider and whatever. What would you suggest they do? And I don't want to say to right the ship, but just to get a little bit better. Yeah, I think what you do is you – I mean, you obviously those guys have so much technology and so much film. And you, you, I think the first thing you do is you look at the breakdowns defensively. And is there a pattern? And is it, does it involve one or two people maybe in ball screen actions? Or is it because they're not, you know, they're not off the ball or they're, you know, there's not a lot of help? Whatever the circumstance, whatever the, the mistakes that they're making defensively, you watch clips of those. And you may watch clips of those individually. And we've talked about this before. I've always felt as a head coach, especially when somebody was struggling, uh, it's not always the best thing to get in a team situation and you know kind of rip them and you know humiliate them. Or, and that's not happening at that level anyway. But I, I, I think with the the defensive part of it, I think you're, you're watching clips and you're looking at where the breakdowns are. And is are there some patterns here? Let's fix them. Let's talk about them. Let's go on the floor. They're not going to go real hard, but at the end of the day, they can fix some of those things by film, by obviously one of the things you mentioned through conversations, and, and then by getting on the floor. I think offensively, it's, it's one of those things that that is such a delicate thing, shooting. And, and this is a, a team that has six or seven guys that can, can score 20 on any given night. But uh, I think just making sure that where their shots are being taken – are we taking a lot of – maybe we're taking more contested shots. I don't know what the analytics are. I, I, I don't have access to that. But, uh, you know, hey, in the past maybe 22% of the shots were taken are contested. And now look at this, 30 or 40, 35% are contested. I don't, I don't know if that's an analytic that's an issue or, or, or uh, you know, how, what are they doing at the end of the shot clock? Where are the breakdowns there? Are we not in the ball screen action we want to be in? But they're going to identify it. I mean, there's going to be a pattern. When you lose four games in a row, there are those things happening. And then, then you've got to take a look at the intangibles. And you look at the effort. You look at the circumstances and the environment of the game. It was on the road. Guys are sick. I mean, you kind of assess and look at all of those things. And then you just realize that, hey, listen, we, we got two, we're playing a really good Nuggets team here. And, uh, it, it, you know, a week ago when we were talking, 
they had won four in a row, and they were nine and one, and they were in second place. Today, they're they've lost four. They're five and five, and they're in fourth place. And these two games right here, they get they they stay. In, I mean, they can't afford to lose games at home right now. Otherwise, they're going to be looking at the sixth or seventh spot in a week when they're going to go on the road. And you know, they got a schedule right now where eight out of the ten or eight out of the next ten are on the road. So you would think this would be a time where they could get their confidence back, get their mojo back, and Take a look at the small and simple things that uh, win and lose games, especially on the road, especially on the road. And defense is the one thing that needs to travel on the road. And this is a team that's been really good. Man, I'm telling you, it's just it's as little as one or two possessions that can determine a game. And sometimes guys just step up and make big shots when they're contested, and you just got to go good on them. I mean, we, we did everything we could, and – I mean, there's no game that you can't look at and go, hey, we've done this, this, and this. But over the course of 82 games, there are patterns and things, and they've kind of gotten into a funk here that they need to get out of. And I'm confident that coaching staff is great as they are. They'll find those things and get their confidence back. And I fully expect them to win both these home games this week. When Kyrie Irving went to the Celtics, we were discussing, oh, you'd add a t- that talent to a team that was already pretty good. And I thought, and I said, well, there's too many shooters and not enough shots. Now, I don't know if you're aware of this, Steve, but one of our listeners turned that into uh, what could best be described as a thing. Shooters. Shooters, too many shots, not enough shots to go around for all the shooters. Shooters, shooters. Too many shooters, too many shots, not enough shots to go around for all the shooters. Not enough shots to go around for all the shooters. I'll show you, I'll show you my Grammy when you come to town next time. <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah. That's but I wonder I but I wonder if the Jazz aren't having a similar issue here because you bring up the point about Joe Ingles has been really quiet these last few games. He's not taking shots. Well, when they move Conley into the lineup, first into the rotation, but then actually into the starting lineup and Royce moves out, there aren't enough shots for everybody. And Joe just naturally will take that role of hey, Royce was barely shooting the ball at all. I'm going to be the guy who barely shoots the ball because five there are not enough shots for five guys to shoot the ball a lot. But when everybody's thinking about, am I doing the right thing? Am I taking too many shots? Do I need to move the ball? It wrecks the way the ball moves and it wrecks the way the offense flows. And if you're not scoring, it's harder to defend. And so, how much of this is about integrating somebody back in the lineup and everybody trying to figure out what their role is? Uh, well, that's real. That's a real thing, and just because it's the NBA doesn't mean that it can't be a problem. I mean, we, you know, you look at high school and college, and you know, typically teams don't have three or four or five guys that can score, and uh, and so the roles are pretty defined early on in the season. When you have injuries and when you have a plethora of guys that can actually make baskets, you do have to figure out who fits best together and where the chemistry is and what guys how guys feed off each other. And when they were nine and one. For the most part, I don't think Conley was playing, and there there was a pattern and a consistency of where everything was going. And it's not to say you're not going to play Conley, and and but they're going to have to figure that out. And and it may come to the point where if they they stay in a funk, and you know the coaching staff can do a lot of different things. But you know maybe Conley comes off the bench. But whatever whatever decision they make, 
it is real. And I, I think that most teams, I'm, I remember in college, um, I mean, I wanted to play a lot of guys. You know, you, you always, being in the year, you do that. But at the end of the day, this time of the year in college, you're playing seven guys. And, and that's the, and you got a rotation, it's tight. And occasionally, if somebody gets in foul trouble or somebody gets hurt, somebody steps in. But there's two things I, I know about college basketball is I wanted to play with seven guys. And I wanted to play small as often as I could because I wanted to put guys that can handle the ball, take care of it, and put as many shooters on the floor. And, uh, but I, I think in this situation, um, that's, that's the challenge that they have right now. And, and they're going to have to figure that out. Those are things you talk about things they're going to talk about as a coaching staff behind closed doors. They're, they're going to have to make some of those decisions. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure it will play out and be okay, but they do. And Clarkson, you know, you, you, you throw Clarkson in there and you, you look at what he's doing and he's averaging 20 a night pretty much, you know, and he's had a couple of huge nights. So now, you know, you've got him off the bench. He fits. He knows what his role is. He's the guy and he's comfortable and he's confident. Uh, but right now with putting Conley back in there when they've had a lot of success without him there, um, they're just, you're just going to have to keep a close eye on that. And, and I think you, have, you can't not talk about those things. I think, you know, well, we don't want to offend anybody. And, but I think you have an open discussion about that. At this point in time, there's a lot at stake here. And they're going to have to have conversations individually with guys and ask them what they think, get their input because it's important, because you never know. And I think these guys would be honest with the coaching staff and go, hey, I'm just not comfortable with this situation. Oh, this is how I feel. Ultimately, you know, Quinn's going to have to make those decisions as a staff, but I think I don't think you can talk to guys enough about, hey, what's not working here? What's not right? Let's talk about it. Let's be really transparent here. We're not worrying about people's feelings here. We're all trying to win games. And I think you have to have those conversations. Even though they're pros making $20 million a year, it's not like you don't – and that's part of having a great culture. And, I, and I, you know, they do have a great culture there. But part of having a great culture is understanding what the guys need and what helps them to be the best they can be. And so they're going to have to have those rather difficult conversations. Cougars got a huge win against St. Mary's, and we saw the game as exciting as all get out. I'm wondering from your perspective, what do you think makes Mark Pope an effective coach? You know, one of the things is I think that he has a connection with the guys. He's young, he's energetic, he's positive. And it's not to say that coach wasn't or I wasn't or other people. You know, everybody has a different personality. But I, I, I think the, the, the one thing is that he, anytime you can inherit a team and that's not really kind of been maybe playing to their potential uh, and you, you paint a new picture and you, you have a different mantra and you have an energy that comes with that, guys start believing in that. And, and obviously some really critical things had to happen. Yoli Childs came back. And that was a, an important part. I'm sure Mark played a big role in that. And, uh, and then getting Jake Toulson, which was huge, to get a, a graduate transfer and get Barcello to come in. So we're talking about a team that's way different than last year's team. I mean, Barcello and Toulson really make that team different. And Nixon and Celius, they've accepted a role. They're not thinking they should be starting, or even though they may have during certain games. So everybody kind of knows their role. They're playing that seven or eight guys, parting a guy that's kind of a – people go to sleep on, but a really, really good player. This is a very talented team, and Mark has 
been able to identify their roles and who they are and what they should be doing. I mean, I think offensively they've done some unique things that uh, as distinguished Mark as, as, a, as a good X's and O's guy. And uh, their, their ball screen action, their spacing, the constant movement, that's something that's a little bit different and new that the guys have, have kind of bought into. And I, I think that uh, he's just a really positive guy and, and, and focuses. He, he's an analytics guy, and he can talk their language. He communicates well with them. And uh, it's, it's been a really good situation. And uh, there's a lot of basketball left, but it is a fun team to watch. And I think the, the thing that I most enjoy about this team is, is, the, is the leadership of this team. I, I, I think Jake Toulson is really special. And uh, not, not necessarily because he's making threes and things, but he, for a guy to come in, and, and the fact that he played for Mark for the last couple of years helps. I mean, if he just transferred in and nobody knew him and he had already been at BYU, but he has embraced the role of being a leader on that team. And then Yoli is too. Yoli's maturity, I just listen. I'm not there watching it, and I'm not in practice, but just the maturity of the things he has to say and shares. Uh, you've got the intangibles there that that kind of leadership, Mark's brought the breast out of them. And, uh, and that's why they're, they're being really successful and, They've got a chance to get back to the tournament, and they've got some fun games ahead. So they have given up uh, 79 points or more in three straight games and five of the last eight, and I know I sound a little bit like, get off my lawn, guy, when I start bringing that up, but that was where I thought the NCAA tournament slipped away each of the last, what, three, four years, whatever it's been, was a high-scoring game on the road, and they couldn't hit the big shot. Now at home... T.J. Hawes hits the big shot, and they win 81-79. Any concern that they're starting to give up more points than they were giving up, uh, say, a month ago? Well, I think there's always a concern. And, I, you know, I don't have those stats in front of me in terms of possessions. And when you shoot the ball quick, you're going to be more possessions. You're mm-hmm. going to give more points up. Uh, but, I, but I think you're right. I, I mean, anytime you let people come into your building and shoot 53% from the floor and 50% from three points, I mean, give, I mean, give the St. Mary's team great credit. They're solid, and they've been really good for, in this league for a long time. But that would be concerning, that you gave up 53% field goal shooting and 50% three-point shooting in your building and, and had to you know, win it at basically in the last 10 seconds. So, yeah, that is a concern because when you go on the road, I, there's two things that have to happen when you go to the tournament. Well, number one, guard play is huge, and they have that. Number two, you're right, is they've got to be able to defend and guard and, uh, and I think that, you know, rebounding, those kinds of things become really important in the tournament, extra possessions. But, yeah, I, I, I think it's always a concern because that, those aren't numbers you should be giving up at home. And, and you're right, you, you documented that they've been given up in the high 70s. Uh, but it, it's one of those things where you've you got to keep getting better. And, and you know, you look at they're going to be favored in – every game they play except Gonzaga. And, and if they shoot the ball well, I mean, Gonzaga's had a few close games. I mean, against Pepperdine, they got, they got off the hook, a team that can score it against USF. They were lucky to win that game on the road. So, I mean, and we're talking about the number one or number two team in the country, depending on polls and things. But I've watched Gonzaga play, and, and they're really good. But they aren't last year's team or the year before. I mean, I mean this is a team that – and on the road, they've had a, a, a more competitive game. So BYU is capable of beating Gonzaga this year. 
just because I think of the mental makeup of that team. But you're right. They can't give up 85 or 90 points to Gonzaga because they've got size and, and uh, they have real good quickness at the guard play. But they're pretty much favored. You know, I mean, I, the game I think that BYU has to be really concerned about is at Pepperdine. They've never played well there and lost games, giving up 70 and 80 points. Uh, and certainly the Gonzaga game. I don't think they would have. I mean, they, they got a kind of a break in the schedule where they play Santa Clara at home. I've watched them play two or three times. They're uh, well coached. They got good size. Playing them at home, I don't think they can score enough. They don't, they don't score enough to beat BYU. But at home, that's that's one that they should be happy about not having to go on the road. But LMU and USD, they just have to take care of business. But the Gonzaga game, I'm going to actually be in town that week, and. I'm kind of excited to see the Santa Clara and the Zags play. So, uh, but you're right; it is something they have to be concerned about, especially when you look at the game they just had. And more than likely, BYU and St. Mary's are going to play one more time in that tournament to see who plays Gonzaga. Steve, we appreciate a few minutes as always. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, guys. Have a great week. There is Steve Cleveland. You know, when you ask him a question, you got a thorough answer, PK. That's just like 40 years of basketball knowledge just dropped on you. Whatever you want to know. Yeah, you you definitely get a thorough answer, and also the reason why he gives you that thorough answer is because he's prepared. DJ and PK, love having Steve on. We'll have him on again next week. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.